Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 194 of the Mo Money Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse. I'm so excited to have you back for another episode. And this one is going to be a good one. Um, so I am interviewing Ron Haig. He works at Nicola Wealth. He's a senior financial planner and regional manager of Ontario at Nicola Wealth. And I was on, uh, so Nicola Wealth has their own podcast. I was a guest on their show. We had a great time talking about um, just millennials and money uh, because typically their uh, clients are not really millennials or maybe you know the parents of millennials. So it was a really interesting um, chat just about, you know, the different generations and how we think about money and manage money and how we can communicate better. Uh, so I want to have Ron on the show here so we can talk more about specifically millennials and retirement planning because, you know, I've had a few guests on the show recently and, you know, in the past about retirement planning, but I still feel like uh, whenever you're looking for information about retirement planning, it really is geared to people that are you know, Gen Xers, baby boomers, things like that. I feel like it's kind of hard to find uh, information specifically for people like us. Um, and uh, it is something that we all need to start thinking about. We need to start saving for retirement because, uh, you know, we don't have the luxury of all those you know, pensions that our parents or grandparents have. I mean, if you have one, good for you. But most of us, uh, you know, we'll have to basically self-fund our entire retirement and, you know, obviously get some supplementation through uh, government programs. And it's just like a lot to know. And we need to start thinking and planning right now while we're young-ish. And so that's why I've got Ron on the show to talk about all things retirement planning and uh, also specific to Canadians, which is uh, going to be great. So you're going to love this episode. Uh, but before I get to that interview with Ron, here's just a few words about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Momini Podcast is sponsored by the Scotia Momentum Visa Infinite Card. What kind of cashback are you getting with your credit cards? Not sure? Let's review and see if you could be earning more. The Scotia Momentum Visa Infinite Card is offering new cardholders 10% cashback on everyday purchases for the first three months, up to $2,000 in total purchases plus the annual fee waived for the first year. That's a value of up to $299 in your first year. After the first three months, you'll earn 4% cash back on gas and groceries, 2% cash back on drugstore purchases and recurring bill payments, and 1% cash back on everything else you spend on your card. This is why this card received Money Sense's Best Cashback Card with Fees Award for two years in a row. Want to learn more about the Scotia Momentum Visa Infinite Card and this limited time offer? This offer expires April 30th, 2019. Just visit jessicamorehouse.com slash scotia or visit the show notes for this episode. Once again, that's jessicamorehouse.com slash scotia or check out the show notes for this episode. Thank you, Ron, for joining me on the Mo Money Podcast. I'm excited to have you on the show after uh, I was able to get on your show, and we had such a wonderful chat. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and um, looking forward to following up on our great chat uh, of a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So uh, for people just listening, and I'll include this in the show notes, I was on your podcast. So what's that podcast called, and where can people find it, just so if people want to do some snooping before they dive into this episode? So that podcast will be on the Nicola Wealth uh, uh, channels, and we'll be happy to send you a link to you, Jessica, so that you can include mm -hmm. it on your website as well. Absolutely. So for that episode, we largely talked about how to kind of talk if you're, you know, 
Gen Xer or baby boomer, how to talk to your millennial children about um, money management or, you know, just how to set them up for success when you are can kind of in that older generation and trying to understand the minds of young people. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I could have, I hope that I uh, kind of shed some light on that. <laughs> it was an interesting conversation. I don't think I've ever really talked to anyone about lots of that stuff. So it's nice to have you on the show. So we can kind of talk more about the other side of things. You know, a lot of my listeners are younger and they want to prepare. They do want, I mean, they're listening because they actively want to do something about their financial situation. They may not have necessarily learned all the steps to do that. And, uh, but I, I definitely want to dive in specifically about more talking about investing in retirement planning. Cause I think a, a lot of us, especially when you're in your twenties and thirties, you're very much focused on kind of those present needs, such as, you know, home ownership, saving up to buy your first home, paying off your student loans or your consumer debts. Maybe you have a, a line of credit or credit card and you just need to crush that and starting to kind of build up some savings, like an emergency fund and some things like that. It's usually once you've kind of dealt with all of those things, you're ready to kind of start thinking about your future plans, uh, investing for the long term and retirement planning. But what I have noticed by talking to a lot of people my age is they have no idea what the heck that means. <laughs> they don't yep. know what retirement planning really looks like. So to start, let's. Uh, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and your kind of experience because I know you're kind of an expert in this field. And then we can kind of chat about what overall does retirement planning mean uh, kind of from a, you know, your perspective, I suppose. I, I think, um, you know, I do have a little bit more experience. I, I'm not of the demographic that uh, that's probably listening to the podcast. I'm a few years older, but I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. And so that, um, I'm not that far removed from my 30s and understanding and my 20s and understanding, oh, that's what I should have done, right? Or what could I, you know, had I been able to write a note to my future self, this is what I would have said. Uh, and so when you talk about retirement planning and investing, um, I think it's really about investing the time. And retirement planning really is about taking action to reach your retirement income goals. But what the heck does that mean, Ron? I mean, simply put, it's thinking about something so far down the road, you can't even think about it today. It's an intangible thing. Um, John, John Lennon, uh, and I know that despite my age, I know everybody listening should know who John Lennon is. Um, oh my in, gosh, yes, they should. <laughs> and if they don't, they should listen to some of the music after we're done. But um, in the, I think it was 1982, he came out with uh, a, an album called Double Fantasy. And, and there was a, a lyric in one of the songs, uh, Beautiful Boy was the name. And, and one of the lyrics said, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. And it's it's so true. It's like, think about, you know, our listeners, ourselves, you know, our plans are, I'm going to go to school and then I'm going to get a job and I'm going to pay off my debt. And then I'm going to get, you know, maybe I'll get married or maybe I'll find a, a, somebody to live with and maybe we'll have kids in the house. Whatever that plan is, life then throws, you know, curveballs at you, some good and some, you know, not expected. And it's about making some purposeful planning decisions along the way. And knowing that you are going to get derailed sometimes, and, and it's by planning ahead that you can invest the time now to make sure that some of the outcomes are ones that you can control, as opposed to allowing life to dictate to you, you're dictating to life. 
Yeah. And I think, yeah, like you mentioned, it's so far into the future and you know, you can read so many books and so many articles that say, you know, start investing early because it will eventually lead you to a, a big amount of money that you do need to retire on, you know, 1 million or $2 million. Those numbers sound crazy. And I think a lot of us have never, because we haven't maybe started investing yet, or we have, but it's only been a few years. So we don't really see, you know, oh, we haven't made that much money off our money yet. So it just, it almost seems like, yeah, sure. Like it, it's, it's, it's something that it's hard to really grasp or visualize. I guess the only way to really do that is to maybe talk to your parents or your grandparents and look at, you know, where did they start from and how did they end up to where they were? But it's, it's I feel like for younger people, it's very hard to really believe you're like, yeah, sure. I'm sure this, you know, me, you know, starting with a thousand dollars and then putting a couple hundred dollars in my investment account every month will eventually get to a million dollars. Yeah. We'll see about that. I doubt that very much. And, and that's really born out of the experience that, uh, you know, this, this generation has had, right? Remember the great promise, you know, you're going to go to school, you're going to get a career and then you're going to graduate. You're going to get this fantastic job. And then something called the great recession comes along and people are like, wow, what do you mean? I can't pay off my student loans like you promised me. You know, will the Canada pension plan be there for me? All these things are going through your head. And that's because we as humans, we're not wired biologically uh, to think about 40 years from now. If you think about us as human beings, the fundamental of whether, you know, you come from, you know, Adam and Eve or whether there's creationism, take that aside. Millennia ago, we, we had immediate needs. And that was, we want to feed our families, we want roof over our head, and we want peace and security. And what that meant was not thinking about the future, but thinking about the immediate needs. And so the idea of sacrificing today for something so intangible far down the road, where they may not have even measured time, right? Time is a human construct. So when you look at those things, how we now in today's 21st century plan and 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 uh, ensure that we have what we need in the future is really important. So you mentioned it uh, at the beginning of, of, of that piece, which was, you know, look to your parents, look to your grandparents. And that's one way of doing it. And that's traditionally the way it has been done. But we're so lucky that we live in an age where today, there is a lot of information out there, and some of it is is better than others. Um, you had a wonderful fellow on one of your podcasts that I had an opportunity to listen to, and, and those who are listening today who haven't heard it, I would encourage you to uh, go back to episode 180 and listen to the uh, uh, episode with Tim Thompson from Fisco. There are a lot of great resources. Some of them are unbiased, like Fisco um, and, and you know, Government of Canada, the Canadian. Um, um, the Financial Planning Standards Council, the Bank of Canada, uh, these are all great resources out there. So the question is, where does one start? Yes. Yeah, where does one start? Where should we start? <laughs> so if, if we take the analogy of a marathon or any long-term race, you, 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 know, you don't run 42 kilometers or any significant distance without taking that first step. The first step is just asking questions and no that there's no such thing as a dumb question. And any advisor that looks at you like you're, you know, you're foolish for asking that question, that's not an advisor you should be working with. Because all of us, whether we're seasoned professionals as, uh, as myself or whether I'm you know, a, a, a new person learning about investing and financial planning, all of us, we're, we're newbies and had to ask these questions. So it's important that you reach out, get the kind of information that is customized to you 
early on, ask those questions. Um, so some of the questions, you know, that are important are, what are my goals? Well, you talked about it earlier, saving for a house, uh, vacation, kids. Do I want to go back to school? Um, and maybe retirement at some point. Some people may want to retire, but that's, again, a 40-year plan that we want to put in place here. And so while the first step is we want to save, the, the questions really is for what? What purpose? Because you have, like all of us, every single one of us, we have multiple competing priorities. We, so what's important to you might be very different than the person sitting to your left who might make the same amount of money doing the same role come from the same background, but it's you as an individual and it's your uniqueness, that's what has to shine through in whatever plan you put together, either on your own or, or with, uh, with, with um, uh, the professional's help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think from, I mean, all the people I've talked to on the show, it always does kind of seem uh, to go back to just a, a, a prime example. Recently, I did a workshop at, at one of the uh, Toronto Public Libraries. And one of the questions I got at the end was, I didn't really have anything to do with what I just talked about, but someone just had a question like, I have, you know, some money, how can I double it? Where should I, how should I invest it? I'm like, let's unpack that. Because I think a lot of people may not even be asking the right questions, but they I can kind of see where their logic is. So like you said, it's like, let's start with figuring out what your savings goals are first, and then figure out what's a good strategy for all of those goals to reach, you know, to attain retirement at 65 or 55 or whatever the case is. But I think a lot of us jump kind of a few steps or several steps to be like, I don't know, I just know I need to invest and I want to make as much money as possible. So what would you recommend to invest? I'm like, it's not as easy as just saying, invest in this product and you'll be just fine. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's about customizing it to your priorities. It, there is no one size fits all. Um, you know, risk, risk is a four letter word and how you define that risk really comes down to your experience. Um, think about uh, going to Starbucks, for example, you know, if I want a cup of coffee, there's lots of great coffee places, but what makes Starbucks as good as it is, is you can have the drink any way you want it. You know, for me personally, I like a venti chai latte, non-fat, seven pump, extra foam. So I'm going to pay. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a lot of caffeine. <laughs> but it, it allows that customization. I'm willing to pay a little bit more for it. Right. Or I could go down the street to my diner, you know, give me a coffee, double, double. I'll pay a little bit less. And there isn't one that's right or wrong. That's not the approach here. Um, you know, you can really see that that customization is what makes the experience unique. It's they listen to me. Um, they hear what I've, I've, uh, I want. They might make a suggestion. And ultimately, I'm going to come out with what I want uh, with the guidance of a, a professional. It's no different in any service industry, including wealth management, financial planning, and investment management. If your goal, as you said, is, hey, I want to double my money. Okay, my job then as a planner is to say, okay, sure, let's look at that. And let's look at what the attendant risks are with that. So if you're willing to double your money, are you willing to lose half of it as well? It's the inverse correlation in 2008. When the stock market went down on average 50%, so think about an individual who had $10,000. If they if they're, they wanted to double their money and they went from 10000 to 5000 because the market halved, 
they would then need to get a hundred percent on their five thousand. They would need to double just to break even. So a lot of people, you know, they want, you know, give me all that juice on the upside. I'm happy to take the risk on the upside. It's are you cognizant and comfortable to take the risk on the downside? Because whether you have ten thousand, a hundred thousand, or a million, the number is irrelevant. It's all you've got in the world. Then you want to make sure that you're putting it towards that goal. And there is no, yeah, yes, we have those Cinderella stories, those unicorns as we call them, where people will, you know, double their money overnight, or they they get into uh, different uh, segments of the market, and they're lucky. I call them cocktail discussions. You go around, you know, and you're at the bar and people say, yeah, hey, I doubled my money. No one says, guess what, Jessica? I had an awful year last year. I lost half my money. No, no one tells you that. So what we want to do when we are working with professionals is make sure they understand what we think is risk. Um, it's different for everybody. For one person, risk might be stock versus a bond. And for for some people... Just investing in any stock might be a risk, whereas for some people, there are different elements of risk. So we can get uh, comfortable with basic terminology. That's one way to start. Investopedia, for any of those who are interested, Investopedia is a great way to start. Just to get the basic terminology, what's the difference between an RSP and a TFSA or a RIF? I mean, we, we sometimes in the investment industry, we, we tend to talk in acronyms, and that's not really doing anyone a favor. So we want to customize it. Um, and one of the areas that you, you, you talked about on Come Back To is getting that information from those who've gone there before us, right? And it might be our parents, it might be our grandparents, it might be our peers, it might be the internet. If you were going to a great trip in Bali, you'd probably do a lot of research and spend some time finding all the best spots to go to and, and the, maybe the cheapest way or the most unique experiences. It's the same thing when it comes to your investments. What works for you and getting that information. So start small uh, would be my first uh, suggestion mm -hmm. to anybody. Yeah. No, like you said, I feel like honestly, if you talk to anybody, they probably do way more research on their next trip than their investment portfolio. Because I mean, I work with uh, clients all the time and what I can provide is doing an audit of what they're currently doing with their investments, what kind of mutual funds they have, what kind of stuff is in their portfolio. And most of the time they have no idea. And I'm like, how could you be investing thousands of dollars in something you don't know? And yet I know for a fact that you've done a ton of research <laughs> on your next trip. So you have the best, you know, you're, you're on budget and you're going to have the best time ever. I don't know whether it's just because uh, doing research for a trip is more exciting or more accessible because more people talk about that kind of stuff. Whereas investing just seems like this whole other world and it's scary and there's just a lot of emotion involved. Do you feel like when you are talking with uh, clients that it's just the heart when it's a, especially if they're just kind of getting started or they, they want to do something completely different with per, their portfolio. Cause even though they've invested, they never really completely understood what they were doing. There's just a lot of emotion involved and a lot of fear and a lot of, well, a lot of psychology. Yeah, I, too. I think you're absolutely right. Behavioral um, triggers, if you will, you know, when you, when you think about all of us, 
Um, we live in an age and a time of what we're looking for immediate gratification. I want to turn that 10,000 into 100,000 overnight. You know, I bought X stock and it doubled. Most successful companies, most successful businesses are built over 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And it takes that same approach when it comes to investing for your retirement. The clients uh, and people that I have seen who can retire comfortably, whether that's at 38, 58, or 78, whatever that number is, they were very purposeful in their approach to retirement. They treated it no different than any other uh, goal and objective. And it's important that, first of all, that, that you write it down. What is your objective? Yeah, you want to retire, but retire making, you know, do you want a hundred thousand dollars a year on your portfolio, or do you want fifty thousand a year? If you want to live in the city of Toronto, or do you want to live in a small town in Ontario, or do you want to retire, you know, somewhere exotic? These are all factors that will play into it. So by writing down the goal and having someone to hold you accountable, now that could be an advisor, but it could also be your partner, your colleague, your uh, spouse, girlfriend, whatever it might be. Um, and, and by sharing those discussions, um, I think by having two people working towards that goal, um, there's a lot of buy-in. And it's sort of like, you know, how many of us have started New Year's resolution and said, oh, I'm going to go to the gym, you know, and at first we can do it on our own because we're so motivated. But to continue to go on a regular basis or any resolution requires sometimes um, a trainer or a partner, someone to help us. And, and really, that's the role you play, Jessica, and, and the role that I play, which is we're your personal trainer for your financial assets, if you will. We'll keep you on the, the narrow, uh, straight and narrow. And so when you're looking at, um, I've done some research and looked at uh, uh, some of the statistics uh, of your core hoard. And it's, you know, not surprising that about half don't have an RSP. And um, uh, when it comes to deciding between an RSP and a TFSA, about half opt for a TFSA. Now, that is something that I want everybody listening to understand that a tax-free savings account is an amazing way to start saving and actually provides uh, different benefits. It's also for retirement. But it's a way to start small and it's very accessible. So I, I think anybody who's thinking about retiring, thinking about saving for a long-term goal, there are benefits to both an RSP and a TFSA and they're not alone. As I said, you know, over half of the cohort haven't started saving and it's no different than many uh, boomers or Gen Xs would have been at your age. So I, I, you know, it's easy to look at a boomer today and see the, the, the trappings of affluence and say, oh, they're driving this kind of car or they're living in this kind of house. But I can tell you that in the 1970s, they were living in apartment buildings, no different than people living in condos. You know, they were maybe they had one car in the family. So these are the things that every generation has faced before them. And uh, working with the cohort uh, of, of Gen X and 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 uh, and. and uh, and millennials is is very similar. So it's it's get those resources, get the advisors like yourself on board, engage professionals, ask questions, uh, and, and uh, take ownership. Don't don't. It's okay to delegate, but do not abdicate your financial well being. Yeah, absolutely. I, I got a question recently, and I wonder if actually you can um, shed some light on it. Someone asked me, uh, you know, they, and I, I actually find this uh, pretty 
frequently sometimes when I talk to people about investing, they're like, you know what? I'm actually more comfortable with real estate investing than investing in the stock market for whatever reason. Um, but I'm not sure like what's a good ratio, like uh, how much should I be investing in real estate and how much, you know, percentage the other portfolio or how much uh, liquid investment should I have in retirement? Basically, they were just wondering, like, am I stupid for <laughs> investing most of my portfolio in real estate? Is this something that you've ever come across? Um, that's a great question. And it, it speaks to people's comfort level again. You, you, I, I've seen individuals, both my cohorts, older, younger, only invest in real estate. But it was a, a risk that they were comfortable with. They first understood the risk. They said, okay, well, what, what, what's the worst case scenario? Always start with that. What's the worst case scenario? Because once in a blue moon, that will happen. And, uh, you know, there was a recent uh, article, uh, a news story about cryptocurrency. And what was the worst case scenario, uh, unfortunately transpired, which was people can't People can't access their cryptocurrency. Yeah. <laughs> so in effect, at this point, they've lost everything. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case with real estate or under any other investment. The story is really to highlight what is the worst case scenario and can I handle that? Forget the upside because certainly we all want that. So real estate is a great way of investing for wealth. I mean, many of our clients, um, and in fact, the way we invest for our clients, about 23% of our clients' portfolios uh, are invested in real estate as part of an overall um, financial plan. But it always started with a plan. It's not, we're going to invest in real estate and then let's do your plan. It's what are your goals and objectives? So whether you're, you know, what we'll consider an affluent investor or whether you're an individual starting out, the wonderful thing about uh, technology today is the demo uh, democratization of investing and you don't need to have a million dollars to invest in like a millionaire. You can invest in a lot of these pools uh, in an online format. But again, do you understand the risk you're taking? Are you working with someone to help you understand that? Or have you acquired the resident and required um, knowledge to be able to manage it on your own? You can certainly do it on your own if you're comfortable with that, but it's the behavior when people panic, when the market's correct, um, and people don't have that sort of guidance, it sometimes holds them back. Um, another question I get pretty frequently is, I think, and this kind of is tied into just the fear of investing your money, especially for retirement, is how do I know if I've saved up enough? Like People are worried that they'll save up uh, an amount that they, they believe was the right amount, but they're like, what if I li live to 100, but I only saved enough money to live to 90 because we're living a lot longer. Do you ever get people kind of panic being like, what if I run out of money? It's The important thing is to plan uh, and not set it and forget it. So if I met with someone today, regardless of what age they were at, whether they were 85 or 25, we would put together a plan. And then we would revisit that plan every six to 12 months. Things change. Remember I said earlier, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. John Lennon said that he's much smarter than I ever was. And so when you look at that, it was about, okay, we set a plan in motion and things change. I, and I think maybe I'll tell you a, a quick personal story here. I was uh, 20, let me just remember how old I was. I was 30, 30 years young and uh, found out my wife and I were going to have our first child and went through the same anxieties. I'm sure everybody did. Oh my God, how are we going to pay for this? 
you know, is the house big enough? What about if we want to go to private school? And all these things, am I going to be a fit parent? And you go to the first um, ultrasound and you you see the the heartbeat and you, you get all that information. But my wife and I found out something a little different. And that is we were expecting twins. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so if you can imagine that all of a sudden this anxiety that I might have had around having one child is holy moly. I don't think that's the word I used, but <laughs> in case there are young children listening, holy moly, uh, how am I going to pay for two kids at once? And today I fast forward, I have four children, two of which the two oldest are in university right now, and I'm paying for it. And it and it was, you know, once the, the, the shot comes through, it was, okay, here's the goal and the objective. The goal and the objective is to raise these kids well, maybe give them an opportunity to go to post-secondary if that's what they want any other things along the way that we may have budgeted for, but it meant sacrificing. And, and, and when I say sacrificing, it doesn't mean that I stopped going out to restaurants or, or we, we just, we, you know, we sheltered down and never ate anything but ramen noodles. Um, there's nothing wrong with ramen. I still eat them today, but I, I, you know, we've heard the, the words uh, live within your means. Uh, and I believe that people should actually live below their means. And what that does is creates a cushion. It means that I've saved a little bit in the event of an emergency or, you know, twins or, or anything like that. Uh, but it means you are saving. If you're living within your means, that's great. You're on budget. You're on track. But it's important to live within your means. And a key component of that is saving right off the bat. So most of us, um, if we're working on a, in a salaried or a commissioned or a variable gig economy or whatever it is we're doing, when we get paid, we should put 10% away right away without even thinking about it. We should put 10% away into an investment strategy, a saving strategy, whether it's a TFSA or an RSP, we, you can discuss that with your advisor. But I guarantee you, we're not going to miss that 10% um, because if it's in the bank account, we'll see it and we'll say, okay, I can afford X or I can afford Y. And we won't think to automatically put that away. So a great strategy is to have uh, your bank or whomever you deal with, take 10% of your earnings on a regular basis and just put that aside. And then you work with your planner, your advisor to put a, a goal together or a strategy together around your goal in terms of savings. Mm -hmm. When you say it, it sounds so simple. <laughs> <laughs> it could be just because you've been doing this for a while, but a lot of the time I feel like, and sometimes even me, when I, I feel like overwhelmed by information, I, I just feel like, is everything that I think, am I doing it right? And that's actually one of the most common questions I get from millennials is, am I doing it right? What is your answer when someone, like no matter what the age, you know, you, you feel like you've been working with them, they've got a plan and, and they still kind of don't have that, that sense that they know what's going on. I would say that they are, if you're asking me that question, am I doing it right? Then my answer is automatically yes. Okay. <laughs> because it means you're doing, because it means you're doing something. Yeah. So can you be doing it differently? Maybe. Can you be doing it better? Perhaps. But you're doing it. You're doing something. You've taken ownership. You've taken the first step, which is the most critical step. You know, going back to the gym analogy, you know, someone going to show you how to run properly for 42 kilometers not until you've actually taken that first step on the treadmill or out on the pavement, then then we can work with little mechanics. Everything else is details. But, you know, that's a great question to ask people, uh, whether it's an advisor, but 
you know, ask your parents if you've got parents uh, and grandparents, because I, I'll guarantee you, you know, sometimes we think our parents have their act together. Uh, my parents got it all figured out. I know as teenagers, we never thought our parents had their stuff together. Um, but as we age, we, we all appreciate the maybe that our parents, hey, you know what? They didn't do such a bad job because, um, you know, you're alive and you're, you're, you're breathing. So they must have fed you okay. But our parents don't always have their act together. But what it allows us to do, you know, is start to see our parents as infallible which is fine, which is okay, um, not just when it comes to their finances. Parents also don't want to appear uninformed. So you can ask in a non-threatening way, hey, dad, um, I need some help planning for my retirement or a house purchase. What are you doing? Who are you using? What that will do is help you and them build a shared sense of a goal. Oh, my God, I'm so happy, Jessica, that you're looking to save for your retirement. Yes, let me introduce you to the firm I use. You might not end up using the same advisor. You might not even use the same firm, but you've started that conversation. And over time, you'll be able to slowly become um, a partner in this with your parents. And again, it doesn't have to be a parent. It could be a mentor at work. It could be a friend. Um, it's about sharing the journey and, and recognizing that others are going through this with you or have gone through this in advance, or maybe even if they're older, maybe they're just going through it right now because they didn't have the guidance maybe uh, uh, that you do. Yeah, no, I, I feel like definitely we probably don't talk to our um, elders, not elders, but you know, people that are our parents or older mentors or stuff enough about these things. We kind of, I feel like a lot, I mean, you know, I'm guilty of this too, talking to my peers, which is helpful, but it's also good to know what other generations, like I never talked to my grandparents about how they were able to, you know, live in retirement and they were retired for decades. I never asked them. And now I'm like, now I wish I had. Um, so my, my kind of next question is, and I think this is because we talk a lot about saving for retirement, but a lot of us uh, younger people don't really know what that life looks like. For me, my parents are still working. They are not retired yet, so I don't quite know. What does retirement look like? Um, and how does, like, let's talk about some of the mechanics. Once you are ready to retire, how do you get that money out of your accounts? I think these are simple things to you, but I think a lot of people have never really thought about it. So two great questions, both uh, interconnected. What does retirement look like um, and how do I fund it, essentially? Right. So uh, the first question, what does retirement look like? The answer is it depends. Yeah. And it depends on the individual. So for some people, retirement means I want to travel the world and I want to do so, you know, first class. And I'm going to go to every continent, every country, and I'm going to. Uh, cycle. So I had a, a former client uh, many years ago. His retirement was literally getting on a bicycle and cycling the world. Um, and he cycled at one point from Istanbul to Shanghai um, over several, several months. I think it might have been something like eight months through some very inhospitable terrain, we'll call it. Uh, but that was his life goal. So he had planned for that for years in advance. He knew what it was going to cost. He did the research. Going back to what you talked about earlier, you know, you're planning a vacation. Planning for retirement is the same same thing. What do I want to do when I don't, quote unquote, have to work? 
Um, and retirement could mean I'm still working because I love what I do. Many people, and I think I, you know, a lot of the boomers are not retiring, not because of financial limitations, but because they said, okay, well, what do I do? Um, Canada Pension Plan was set up uh, initially with the idea of people living until, you know, 69 years young. Um, so they retired 65 and they'd get collect CPP for about four years. And then Stats Canada said that's when the average person was going to pass away. Well, now, you know, people are living into their 90s and living into their 90s well and healthy. And, and this, this younger demographic, this generation of millennials and, and Gen Xers and so forth, they have the information, the knowledge to know, hey, if I take care of my body, uh, whether it's to eat right, whether it's to be mindful, whether it's to uh, exercise, if I take care of my body, my body's going to be around for a lot longer. And so to your last question, which is how do I fund retirement through multiple sources? So there will be the Canada Pension Plan, which for most millennials will be expanded by the time they retire. So it, it, it is not that the government's going to take care of us. There will be some social safety net, but don't rely on them to 100% take care of you. Exactly. But in addition, how else were, are we going to fund our retirement? And, and that is the same question that is in front of every individual, regardless of their age, their demographic. And it is, what is, what do I need to live in retirement in terms of what my retirement looks like? And then it's your savings are going to fund your retirement. So what you do today is going to greatly impact your lifestyle 40 years from now. And again, that's hard to see today. Uh, the choices that we make today will impact us. Now, the funny thing is, um, it's not the choices of investments that typically will impact us. It's the choice whether we invest or not. Um, because nine, 92% roughly uh, is is the 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 asset what we we'll call the asset allocation the determining factor of where you put your money um, is less important than actually getting the money in. And so you're going to have retirement savings plans. You're going to have TFSAs. If you're lucky enough to work in a in a company that has a group contribution um, um, or a group uh, benefit um, pension plan of some kind, that might help. But ultimately, it's going to rely on you. You might end up using uh, your real estate as an investment. So what I've seen with a lot of people is they've been fortunate to live and own a home in Toronto that's depreciated in, in value. They've sold it and they've retired to a uh, an area which is less costly and they can still fulfill their, their needs um, in maybe a smaller town outside of Toronto because maybe they don't need to go to the opera, you know, and, and they're just fine. And with with the the global travel that we have, with the, the healthcare that we have in, in Canada, there's lots of opportunities to decide um, where you're going to retire. The real thing is how you're going to fund it. And that starts with today. And that starts with just put 10% of your paycheck away every every time you get that. Start to ask the questions, start to accumulate. And then over time, your planner, like yourself, Jessica, you're going to work with these people. And you're going to say, okay, based on your needs, you should be drawing a little bit here, a little bit there in retirement. And always updating that plan is, is quite important. Yes, yes. I think a lot, a lot of things to think about. And it can get overwhelming when you're young because it just, 
it seems I, I think the reason I'm just kind of realizing that it's, it's so kind of anxiety inducing is because it's so important. It's like if you don't do something now, you will uh, well, you won't have enough to save on. Just like you said, it's like, who's going to, how are you going to fund retirement? Well, it's up to you. You have to do it. And I think some people don't realize that it's like, it's not your mom and dad that's going to help you or it's not the government that's going to save you. It's like, no, it's, it's literally up to you. If you don't save enough money, you're going to be living on a very low income in retirement and no one really plans or wants to do that. So let's Let's not do that. Let's plan right now so we don't have to do that. Right. I mean, you think about, um, you know, did you ever have a project in high school or an essay in university or anything like that in college and nobody was writing it for you? Here, here's the deadline, you know, and the deadline was three weeks from now or three months from now. You got your syllabus. You got all the information. It's all in front of you. Now go out and do the research in order to write that essay. And the deadline is, is, is three months from now. And it, Jessica, if you don't finish that, in three months, the consequence will be X, whatever that consequence is, a low mark, failure. And you sometimes with hindsight can say, oh, had I done that earlier, had I started earlier, I might have, you know, come out with a better outcome. Uh, maybe I wouldn't have had as much anxiety. I think ultimately we all go through, um, we have to go through our own learning process ourselves. And uh, you can read all the books. And you can, you know, study all you want, but until you take ownership of this and, and this being your financial well-being, not just retirement, but your financial well-being, no one can own it for you. Um, the analogy I often will use is, is think about your medical care um, or your dental care, whatever it is. You can go to your dentist and he or she will tell you, you know, you got to brush three times a day and floss and come see me every three months and you know, you're going to get all these things done. Ultimately, it's still within your hands to do that. And if you don't do that, the consequences aren't going to be one that the dentist will feel. It's the one that you will feel either physically or financially somewhere down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like this is, even though it's like, obvious, you know, it, it's sort of obvious when you put it that way, obviously, this is what adulting is all about. I think a lot of us are kind of feel unprepared because this isn't something that's given much focus or priority in our entire education, like from, you know, kindergarten all the way to university, like no one really talked to me or there was never really any, I don't know, too many programs or anything that talked about this. So I think a lot of people, especially my age, are realizing as they're they're getting more bills and getting more financial responsibilities that they're like, oh, you mean I I have to basically educate myself on this. And, and this is something complete, a new subject that I've never really thought about. And so it's, I don't know, I, I hope this just becomes an easier thing. And this is more integrated into the education system. That's what my hope is. But uh, until then, this is why I have the podcast and people like you on it. So we can, you know, make it a little bit less scary and introduce people to these subjects and, and hopefully make them less scary and, and more digestible. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Um, where can more people learn about you and uh, Nicola Wealth and the podcast that I mentioned earlier? Thank you so much uh, for having me today. If you want to learn more about Nicola Wealth, uh, you go to that website, NicolaWealth.com. And uh, my bio is under, uh, underneath there under the investment uh, team. And the podcast will be up on our uh, podcast channel there. And again, we'll... Uh, We'll send that link over to your page as well. So some great resources there. Continue doing what you're doing, Jessica, because I think it's such important work. Um, you did, you touched on it at the end, which is, um, 
the education. Uh, it does have to start in, in the schools and in the homes. Mm -hmm. Um, but it starts with us demanding that education. Absolutely. And, uh, I think what you're doing is yeoman's work. So thank you so much for all you do. And that was episode 194 of the Mo Money podcast. And uh, that was my interview with Ron Hake. He is the senior financial planner and regional manager of Ontario at Nicola Wealth. You can find out more information about Nicola Wealth at nicolawealth.com or follow them on Twitter. Uh, you can also connect with Ron on LinkedIn if you so will. And uh, as we mentioned throughout the show, I was on his podcast and uh, I'm going to link uh, to that episode if you want to, you know, listen up uh me on another show being a guest which is kind of fun uh in the show notes and to go to the show notes you just go jessicamorehouse.com slash 194 so if you ever want to go to the show notes of any episode that you ever listen to it's literally just my website jessicamorehouse.com slash whatever the number of that episode is so this one jessicamorehouse.com slash 194 i've got some um, important things to uh, share with you um in just a few seconds including a bonus episode for tomorrow. But first, here's just a few words I want to share about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is sponsored by the Scotia Momentum Visa Infinite Card. Looking for your award-winning cashback card? The Scotia Momentum Visa Infinite Card might be just what you're looking for. For a limited time, you'll earn 10% cashback on everyday purchases in the first three months, up to $2,000 in total purchases. Plus, the annual fee will be waived for the first year. That's a value of up to $299. This offer expires April 30th. But wait, there is more, with great benefits like access to hotel room upgrades, best available rates, VIP guest status, and late checkout at over 900 luxury hotels around the world. Or gain access to the exclusive Visa Infinite Dining Series, which includes dining events with once-in-a-lifetime chef collaborations at the country's most highly anticipated new restaurants. You can even call up the Visa Infinite complimentary concierge to help make your life easier by taking care of almost any request, like dining reservations or building vacation itineraries. To learn more about the Scotia Momentum Visa Infinite card and see if it's right for you, visit jessicamorehouse.com slash scotia or visit the show notes for this episode. Once again, that's jessicamorehouse.com slash scotia, or check out the show notes for this episode. All right, first things first, uh, as I teased, I have a bonus podcast episode for you tomorrow, um, and I'm very excited about it. So uh, the guest is Devin Fiddler. She is the uh, creator, the founder of She Native Goods. I met her when she uh, spoke at um, the QuickBooks Connect conference back in the fall, and I just thought she, her story was so amazing and fascinating, and uh, she's just like a very inspiring uh, young entrepreneur that I want to have on the show. So I think you're going Going to love it. So make sure to check back here tomorrow and make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Um, uh, aside from that, uh, as I've been sharing, you know, uh, throughout the past couple of weeks, I am doing an event there is coming up very soon on Tuesday, May 7th in Toronto with my pal, Aaron Lowry, the author of Broke Millennial and the new book that just came out, Broke Millennial Takes on Investing. We still have some tickets left. I last checked there were less than 18. Um, 
And uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to sell out because, you know, usually she's she's told me for all of the other events she's uh, been doing for her, her book tour, they've all sold out, especially in like the last week leading up. So if you don't have your tickets now, go get them. If you want to come, you get a free copy of her new book, Broke Millennial Takes on Investing. We're going to have food and drinks, a photo booth, a panel discussion on investing and a lot of other goodies too. So you're going to not want to miss it. You can find out more information in the show notes for this episode or just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash level up to grab your tickets before they are gone. All right. What else? Um, yeah. So, well, lately I feel like I've been trying to do, just get my life a bit more organized. I've I feel like sometimes, you know, when you get so busy, you run on autopilot and you're like, what am I doing? What am I, what am I even doing? So I've been uh, trying to get my stuff together and just like focus on what, what am I working so hard towards? And so um, I have, uh, you know, there's like so many things that I want to do, but uh, I get distracted pretty easily. So I'm trying to keep things a little bit more focused. So one thing that I'm going to st- kind of put the pause button on just for a few months is uh, taking on new financial counseling clients. I have worked with so many amazing people um, this past year and uh, I love it, but I'm not taking any new clients for the time being because uh, I want to move forward with uh, basically finishing a course that I enrolled in and never finished, <laughs> which is the big Canadian securities course. If you don't know it, it is a beast and it's going to take some time to study and take those exams. So that is like something that is on my, my dream board, my vision board, and I want to get it done. So that is what I'm kind of going to just cram and, and get things done hopefully this summer. Cause basically I'm kind of hoping to either pursue, um, getting another designation, either a CFP or a PFP. I don't know what I love learning. I love, uh, getting designations. So that's just, uh, what I've been up to lately. I haven't really shared with anybody, but uh, that's what I've been doing. Uh, Beyond that also too, I'm working on my second investing course. So if you don't know, I already have one. It's called Investing Foundations for Canadians. Highly recommend it. Um, but uh, I'm kind of basically doing a part two to that course, which is uh, called Passive Investing for Canadians. So if you've ever wanted to use robo-advisors, but re- you really un- want to better understand what, what exactly goes into that, what does that mean? Or if you want to be a DIY investor, you know, make your own portfolio, buy your own you know, investment products, be your own investment manager how the heck to do all of that. So that is what I'm uh, working on. And again, it's like I need to kind of pause certain things so I can focus more on getting these two big things off my, not off my plate, but just like get them done, like just get it done. So that's what, uh, if you're curious, what I, what do I do? What am I up to these days? Those are the two big things I'm trying to pursue right now, besides the podcast. And speaking of the podcast, we've got another good, uh, about a month, month, two and a half of episodes. And then I'm going to take my summer hiatus. So, um, you know, if you want to shout out on a future episode, this is the time to give me an iTunes review so I can make sure I edit you into a future podcast episode this season. And also one last reminder, I still am running my uh, book contest. I'm going to wrap it up, I think, fairly soon. Um, I'm going to have to take a look at the guests. I think I may I'd be done with having authors on the show, I believe. So if you want to win a, one of the books that was featured on this episode, you know, because I've had a lot of authors on the show, not episode, this season, sorry, um, go to jessicamorass.com slash contest, or again, just check out the show notes for this episode, and you can enter to win a copy of one of the books that has uh, been, uh, you know, talked about on this show. So that's it for me. Thanks so much for listening. I'm going to see you back here tomorrow because I have a bonus episode, as I mentioned. 
Uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, yeah, have a great day. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.